I just actually maybe the first time I've ever been called a leaper uh, before. Leaprous, you know, just really sounds like I need some kind of medication. But um, I do very much relate to the idea of being a leaper, of, of leaping. In fact, it's it's been very much who I am for a long time now. And I think I'd have to say that the the first time I ever heard the term, the term, by the way, if you've never heard the term before, you, you probably have, but don't know where it comes from. It actually came from the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. And uh, Kierkegaard talked about the fact that we don't see everything. There are those times when we just have to take a leap of faith. But over the years, it's gotten kind of a, a negative rep in the minds of, of some people as meaning an a irrational choice. Uh, I don't care what the facts are. I'm just going to jump anyway. And because of that, uh, the 20th century theologian, Francis Schaeffer, who was a a hero of mine when I was a new believer way back in the day, Francis Schaeffer didn't like the term. But interestingly enough, I kept finding myself coming back to the term. And Francis Schaeffer is the guy who explained what was valid about the term, even while trying to explain why he didn't like it. Schaefer said the idea of a leap of faith, I'm looking back for the choir, they're, they're not there, that, that the, the idea of a leap of faith is not irrational because picture the scene. You, uh, you're at the edge of a snowy cliff and you've got no place to go behind. You've come to this edge of this cliff and there's thick fog and there's this snowstorm moving in. You're on Mount Everest. And you're going to die unless you find a way out of there. But you can't see your hand in front of your face. Your edge of this cliff, you have no idea what's beyond this cliff. The other edge of the other side could be 10 feet away or 5 feet away. It could be not there at all. Now, the idea of an irrational leap would just be to hope someone is there. But that's not it, said Schaefer. Schaefer said, then you hear this voice of the mountaineer who knows this mountain better than anybody else on the planet, the mountaineer who brought you up here, calling out to you saying, it's okay, jump, I'm over here, you'll make it, I promise you, jump. And it's pure leap of trust. You can't see, but it's not irrational because you hear the voice of the one who knows, the voice of the one who made the mountain even, ultimately, moving on to God, so that was the first leap in my life. But also when I took that leap, I realized at that time or I got a glimmer. And this is kind of what today is sort of this, this series has been uh, messages with some guest speaker or some guest testimony uh, story from someone. And I'm the twofer who's sort of both today. So this is all going to blend together a little bit. I realized when I took that leap that this was probably not the last leap I would take. Because in fact, life in Christ is not about taking a leap and then just hanging out with the Lord, being cool for the rest of your life. Life with Christ is a series of leaps. Amen? How many of you have taken more than one leap in your life spiritually? Yeah. And how many of you think you probably will until the day you move on to the next life? Yeah. And that'll be a heck of a, that'll be the biggest leap of all. Not that you have a choice on that one. (laughs) But life is a series of leaps, and each one of those is a part of God's Vision, God's vision, not mine, because the only vision big enough and exciting enough and scary enough to be worth it is God's vision. God's vision and and, and our role in that vision. 
Now, the, where I was at when I took that first leap in my life, I, I, not too long ago I had gotten out of undergraduate school, and I, I ended up becoming the director of a little school of the arts in Newport Beach, California. That's where I'm from is California. And while I was on staff there, right when I first started, the school was new and I was new, uh, the local newspaper decided to interview me. And they sat down with me, and the interviewer said, So, why the arts? Why the arts? What's this all about? And I remember them asking me that, and I was paralyzed, deer in the headlights, because I had no idea. And I made up some nice stuff. Oh, well, the arts are a way humans express themselves, and we're, we have this need to express ourselves, so we do these things called... And the back of my head was going, I don't know! I'm just doing it because it's what I do, because I've always been kind of artsy. I really didn't have an answer, and that bugged the heck out of me. It bugged me so bad. Now, right around that same time, this school was on the ground level in Newport Beach of a, of a large building, and the bottom floor below us was a small struggling church group that were also trying to get going and do their thing down there. And I didn't have anything to do with them. They didn't have anything to do with me. In fact, I didn't have anything to do with God or that religion stuff back then. But we shared the same restrooms. And every time we went down to use the restroom, there was this little plaque that they kept putting on the wall in the bathroom for all of our dancers and musicians to see and stuff. And it said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That annoyed me so much. C.T. Studd, actually a very famous person, coined that. It was from a longer poem. And every time I go down and use the restroom, I'd take that plaque off the wall and put it in the, in the drawer underneath the sink. And every time I went back, it would be back up on the wall. And this went back and forth and back and forth. Meanwhile, during this whole time, I was struggling with this sense of why? That, that, that reporter's question was rattling around in my brain. Why do I exist? What is the purpose of my life? I needed to know. I, had a, I felt like I had this image in my mind that I just became conscious one day. And I was driving down the road in a car. I didn't know where I was going. And there had to be something more to life than just driving until I ran out of gas. Well, where am I going? So out of desperation, I picked up my grandmother's old Dewey Reams Bible. It's an old ancient Bible. Kind of the Catholic equivalent to a King James Bible, right? And I started reading the New Testament and reading the words of Christ. I had avoided the Bible all my life. I considered myself an atheist for a long time, but suddenly here I was reading the words of Christ for the first time. And I started to fall in love with this person, with his words and his ideas and his character. And, and more and more, I, I thought it just seemed like it was an irrational thing. I mean, no, I can't just leap, right? But I kept reading what he had to say, and it was like I discovered the words of life. I remember reading what Peter said. Jesus said, when people were leaving him, why are you still here? And Jesus said, because you have the words of life. And I read that and I thought, yes. And then I found the first verse I ever memorized. John 17, 3. John 17, 3. I think we've got that on screen, right? Yeah. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, I, didn't, I said I, it was the first verse I've remember. I didn't memorize it. It jumped off the page and burned itself onto my brain and onto my heart. It just instantly, and it was like this voice said, you know that whole, why do I exist? What's my purpose? Here you go. This is it. 
Not that that would have been the answer the reporter from the paper was looking for. But here you go. This is it. And so I walked into the dark of the studio, the dance studio, that little school of the arts. And for the first time in my life, because I remember thinking, you know, all my life there have been people I trusted. I had to trust whether I liked it or not. Surgeons, pilots of planes. I had to trust instead of me. I had to trust that they know better than I do what they're doing. I have to take a leap of faith when I get on a plane. I have to take a leap of faith when I go under a surgeon's scalpel. And when I read the words of Jesus, I began to realize I have to take a leap of faith because he knows who I am and why I exist. I don't. He's the expert here. And so my first prayer was something like, okay, I give. You're in charge instead of me. From now on, it's you instead of me. We should have an image of a leaping man. Oh, no, no. Discovering the vision is what it says. Right. That was the first glimpse I got of God's vision from my life. And really, God's vision, which I was just a part of, discovering the vision. But I was hearing that mountaineer's voice calling from across the abyss saying, jump. I'm here. Trust me. Discovering God's vision is not only about our purpose. It's about be- learning, beginning to learn to trust His vision. So that's why the words discovering God's vision on the screen. It was my first leap. Now we should have an image of a leaping man here. The first leap. The first of many. Because life isn't just about taking the leap. And then you're cool from then. And life is about that series of leaps. For most of us, that first leap was that, okay God, you're God, not me. Now you're in charge. I'm going to trust you with my life. The guy that this series... I think it's probably been mentioned a number of times in the series, uh, comes back to as kind of a model, is Peter, the Apostle Peter. In uh, Matthew 4, 18 through 20, we read about Peter's first leap. Now, he'd actually heard, if you read in the other Gospels, uh, he'd heard about this Jesus guy. His brother Andrew had drug him to go listen to him. And so when Jesus came to on the lake, he'd heard this voice. Peter had been hearing this voice, but now... He came to Peter and says, as he walked by the sea, this is Jesus, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, that's what Peter was called before Jesus renamed him Peter, the rock, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Peter's first leap. Like Peter, I heard Jesus saying, I will make you a fisher. The words that have been kind of in my heart for years and years now, that sense of purpose, which I've never lost, was basically that I have called you to speak truth into people's lives through whatever medium. It's always been kind of creative media for me. But I've called you to speak truth into people's lives, including your own. And I went from that existential crisis of what's my purpose in life to knowing it was scary, it was a leap, but knowing, and I have never lost that. In fact, Easter morning, 40 years ago, was the first time I ever walked into a church. And I have had that sense of purpose ever since, but it was just the beginning, just the beginning of the journey. Now, pursuing the vision is another story. Pursuing that vision and hanging in there, that's where it starts to get scary. And there's a lot of closed doors along the way. Anybody ever had closed doors in your life and you, you ask, why God? 
I should just say, put up your hand if you haven't. And I'm pretty sure no hands would go up. Seth and I were talking just before the service started about how, you know, I used, to, I used to be annoyed at that expression, closed. When God closes the door, he opens another one. Because so many times I said, I don't see any open doors. I'm just seeing a closed door here. Because in truth, it isn't always like you lose a job and then the phone rings and somebody offers you a better job or another job. It's not nice and tight and five seconds later. And then there's that weird expression, when God closes the door, he opens a window. I've never understood what that means. Is that so you can see what you're missing, you know? <laughs> but God does open other doors. He just does it in his timing and in his way. And sometimes you can look back. There's an expression, only hindsight is complete sight. And it's true. You can look back and say, yeah, that other door opened maybe two years later. But I would have never seen or walked through that door if the other door hadn't closed. It's just in God's timing and his way. That's the trust thing. Oh, yeah, that, the trust thing, yeah, the leap thing. Yeah, it would be so nice without the leaps. Peter's second leap in Matthew 14, 28 and 29, Peter's second leap kind of comes into view here. Matthew 28, uh, 14, 28 and 29, this is where we see Peter. This is a pretty famous thing. Uh, this is where we see, we get a glimpse of what was an ongoing experience for Peter as he was learning to trust Jesus more than himself. Peter uh, answered Jesus when he saw him walking on the water of Galilee. Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came Toward Jesus. Now, not all the verses are up here because we don't want to dwell on this one passage too long. But most of you probably know that everything was pretty copacetic as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, right? As soon as Peter looked down and went, What? Water? People cannot walk on water. Hello? And as soon as he started taking control himself, he started to sink, right? The second leap of our lives, often I think, and in reality I'm talking about four leaps here this morning, the second leap of what could be hundreds of leaps in our lives, often is characterized as that learning to trust him more than me. And that's what we see happening with Peter. The, the, the two apostles, the two characters in the New Testament whose lives we get to understand and see glimpses of most are, are the, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. We kind of see Peter's story arc throughout the New Testament, of the guy who takes that first leap and then learns to walk, who stumbles, is restored. Peter in the midst of his second leap. My second leap uh, came as I began to find my calling and my purpose played out. I joined a Christian comedy act called Isaac Air Freight. Uh, And then later I was in a second comedy group called Mitch and Alan. I was Mitch. And we traveled, we toured, we spoke at churches, we did Christian festivals, and it was great. I loved it. I mean, there was some rough times. It was real life. But one of the things I really loved during that time was recording albums and recording videos. I, I fell in love with the process of capturing this whole thing and editing it and putting it all together in, in video and film. And something started to hatch in my mind that someday I want to make movies. I really want to make movies. But this was still playing out. I was a guest speaker for years, and, and it was great. I love this. But like Peter, I was still hatching. I was still learning to trust him more than me. Then in 1993, something happened. Uh, I had 
uh, also been teaching college and had started to think maybe God is leading me. This is where we're going to be. And Trudy and I, my wife Trudy and I prayed a lot about it. And in 1993, that door just slammed shut. I'll go into the details, but they said, we need a PhD to, to head this arts program because donors are impressed with PhDs and, and you've only got a lowly master's degree. Blah, 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 you know, yeah. But <laughs> that door closed, but we began to gl- get a glimpse of what we thought was an open door. So Trudy and I prayed, and what we got from that was, remember that thing about making movies? Okay, now's the time to make that jump, that leap. Right. So I did an internship for a production company. In fact, we were up in the top of the tower. They blew up in Die Hard, except they didn't really blow it up. Uh, and we were, had an office just one floor below Ronald Reagan. I rode the Reagan the, the elevator with Reagan one time. That's a whole other story. But it was an exciting time as I was starting to learn how the movie business works. And we thought, this is it. This is what God's leading us to do. Before I was even done with my internship there, I pitched a movie, pro- a, a two-miniseries project to Disney and Walt Disney said yes and we went yes this is it this is it I quit my day job we made the leap two months later Disney canceled the project slam door slammed shut but we kept going because we felt this is what God was leading us to do so we hung in there we hung in there we we produced a few things small things finally we we produced a movie for Showtime and it was really great I mean to see this thing come to life except I lost total control over the project and I thought, well, I wanted to tell stories. Lord, now somebody, they farmed it out to some Canadian production company. And when we saw the premiere of the movie, which I had almost nothing to do with by that point, Trudy leaned over when it was over and she said, well, the good side is you can pitch this story again because they didn't use any of it. You know. <laughs> so we were starting to see that this isn't playing out the way we thought it was going to. Where's, where's the speaking truth? into people's lives through, through the, the, these different media. And then one of the things that was kind of the final deals is I sold a movie of the week idea to, I, I had a story, wonderful, heart-wrenchingly touching story about forgiveness and grace and sold it to Fox. Fox Television was going to do it as the movie of the week. And I was really worried that I would lose control over it the way I did the Showtime movie. They would water it down and it would just not have any teeth left, uh, mixed metaphors. And, uh, but, you know, still we were excited and made it all the way. The head of the TV movie division said, yes, he did what they call green lighting it in Hollywood. And finally, oh, this is, we're going to run away here. And then the head of the network canceled the project. He said, no, it's too religious, too religious. And that was almost the, the deal breaker. We had one more deal in the process. It was an independent film we were going to do. And the financier of the film, the guy that was putting the money into the film, the day before the money was supposed to go in the bank, his wife caught him under sordid circumstances and shot him. And the deal was off. He lived, by the way. And Trudy said, we prayed about it, and Trudy said, God, you don't have to kill people. If, if you've got something else in mind, just show us, you know. <laughs> Learning to trust him more than me, right? And so, it, ultimately, while going into the details of how it happened, we ended up uprooting our family and bringing him all the way across the country to this foreign land called the Middle East, the Midwest, Midwest, <laughs> to Cincinnati, Ohio, where they have this weird chili, you know, and, uh, and on staff here at the church. And it was, a, it was a neat experience, and I remember thinking, okay, this is it. This is it. This is where God's got us. 
and it was a good time. It was a, it was a great time. But then in 2009, we had this little event called the Great Recession that happened. Churches' budgets were just decimated everywhere, not the least of which was College Hill Presbyterian's budget. And over the next year or so, College Hill Presbyterian let over half of its staff go. They had to to keep the doors open. And suddenly there we were again, back, the, the door closed. What are we doing here, Lord? I keep thinking we're there, and then, you know. And so there we were back in there again in the midst of that whole thing, and we were looking at what I guess you could call our third leap. Third leap. Luke 22, 23, and 33, we see Peter struggling with the dark time, the time when the vision seems to have died. It says this is kind of taken uh, just in the middle of the context, but it says, but I have prayed, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, telling him what's going to happen, telling him, you're going to be in a dark time here, Peter. You're not going to know what's going on, and you're not going to know where you're going, but I can't, not ma- I can't fix you and put a Band-Aid on you so you don't go through this, because you have to go through this. I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Well, most of you probably know that's not the way Peter behaved. When it came right down to it, Peter said, I I don't know him. I've never, I've never met this guy. Said it three times. Peter's famous betrayal of Christ. Peter was devastated by his own betrayal. He wept bitterly But a time was coming when he would be restored. The death of a vision. Death of a vision. Now, there's a question mark on the screen because the death of a vision isn't really what happens. It's what seems to happen during those dark times. When the door is closed, but the other one doesn't seem to be open. There's no open door. There's only closed doors. Where's the open door? It's a time of regrouping, a time of grappling with what's going on. Who am I? What has God really called me to? And and of learning to stay, to stick it out. And so during this time, after, after we went off staff here, in this kind of death of a vision phase, we were struggling and grappling and doing a lot of praying about, but it was a tr- time of tremendous personal growth. That's that time when the doors closed, but God is readying you for the open door, right? And it was, this, it was a difficult time, but we began to get a little bit of a sense of maybe God is calling us to make movies, so we started to do short films for churches, and I wrote scripts for church dramas, and we formed a little production company called Moriah Media. Uh, Moriah, by the way, is the Hebrew word for God sees. God is watching. God is watching you. And uh, it was actually started with seed money from people from this church. You said, Mitch, we believe in this vision, and, and, and we want to kind of fuel it and, and help it come to life. And so that was what we did for a while. And then in... 2013, the fourth leap happened. Um, John 21, 15 through 17. Actually, I'm going to talk about Peter first. John 21, 15 through 17. We see Peter's fourth leap. This could be called the time of restoration of that vision. When they had finished breakfast. Now, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. Peter, devastated by his own failings, coming having come through this dark time when the vision seemed to be dead. Now, here he is. Peter, back at Galilee again. He's come full circle. Remember, first leap, Peter was out on the lake of Galilee when Jesus called to him, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of people. 
And Peter's heart responded with, yes, that's my purpose. He knows my purpose. Now Peter's back. And in this moment of restoration, Jesus said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes. And you can imagine Peter's tears just flooding from Peter's eyes. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, most of you know that Jesus asked him two more times, three times altogether. And he called him Simon, his old name, his pre-Jesus name. And he asked him three times the same number of times that Jesus had, that he had betrayed Jesus, denied Jesus, asked him three times. And Peter was just devastated. And at this point, I can picture Jesus taking him in his arms and saying the last time, then feed my sheep, feed my sheep. The vision restored, the vision restored. Is God just messing with us? No, we can't be here without going from there to here. There's a leap there. There's a big leap. And it's a scary, and it's not an exciting or a fun time. It's a necessary time. In a sense, our fourth leap came in 2013. I started to say that a moment ago. When uh, we had started this little company, we were starting to make some little videos for churches. But in my heart, I still wanted to make films, movies, 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 right? In 2013, I got a small role, a bit part, in a faith-based movie being produced by a company based in Dayton called The Do-Over. Interesting. I love the fact that the movie was called The Do-Over. I also love the fact that recently, because of a conflicting title with some Adam Sandler movie, they renamed it Promises to Keep, which is even cooler for me anyway. Now, we were three days into shooting, and I was doing my little bit part, playing a priest, uh, just saying last rites over somebody, and they slammed the production to halt. The executive producer, who's a very strong believer, the executive producer, Mike, said, No! The guy who's playing the lead in this movie is wrong. Every time I see him in the footage that we've shot, talking about faith and talking about Christ, I know that he doesn't believe what he's saying. I can tell. There was some guy that also auditioned to have Mitch something. He seemed to believe this stuff. Cast him in the role. So they called me up, and they cast me in the lead role in this film. And, you know, I, I like, yes, and then I panicked. Because, I mean, the idea of playing the lead role in a movie, I've, I've played parts of movies that have never been the lead role in a film. It was really, really, really scary. But ironically, this was full circle for me. I could begin to see that because my late Galilee, my first late Galilee had happened, and now I was back with movies. But, but also, you remember the Fox Channel canceled this project that I love so much because it was too religious. And now when we finished shooting Promises to Keep, Mike said to me, do you have any movie projects you'd like to do? And I told him about this project I had, that one of my favorite projects ever that I had developed for Fox that had been canceled because it was too religious. And they said, yes, we're going to make this movie because it's about faith, because of the reason that Fox canceled it. And I realized if Fox had done it, it would have been this movie of the week blip, watered down, and it wouldn't have been the story that I wanted to tell. It wouldn't have been speaking truth into people's lives. Now it will be. We start production. We start shooting three weeks from today. By the way, it's now set in, we, we mess with the story, it's now set in Cincinnati, in that strange foreign land. Uh, and the, the movie is actually called Over the Rhine. And it's set, it's set in downtown Cincinnati. And it's a story of forgiveness and of redemption, and it's 
Ah, I, I cry every time I read the script. Uh, we did a reading of the script at uh, NKU, and a bunch of college students sat there and got all choked up. It's just, it's, it's a moving story, and I appreciate your prayers. The vision restored. The leaping man again. Life is a series of leaps, but God's got promises to keep. <laughs> I began memorizing scriptures about the time I was doing that movie, and now every night at bedtime, I walk outside, except when it's really cold, and I do it in my living room because I'm a wuss. But uh, every night at bedtime, I go outside and I, you know, I speak some verses that, from my heart that I've memorized. One of those is Romans 4, 20 through 22. Romans 4, 20 through 22, because we get a picture of a man who more than anybody else in the Bible is represented as, as the quintessential example of faith, of trust in God, Abraham. The, uh, the hymn that's referred to in this first line here is Abraham, the father of faith. No distrust made him waver concerning the promises of God, the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I say this every night at bedtime. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham trusted God. You see, ultimately, leaping is in just those big, exciting moments we take risks. Those leaps of faith, those leaps of life, also happen in the waiting times. Waiting is an act of trust, and trust is what that leap is all about. There's a video I'm going to show you right now that uh, some friends and I did a, a couple years ago. I hate to wait for what I can't see. Calling God. If you wish to offer up a prayer of thanksgiving, please press 1. There is currently no wait. If you wish to intercede on behalf of a friend or loved one, please press 2. There is currently a 4 minute wait. If you wish to offer God advice, please press 3. There is currently a lifetime wait. If you wish to learn a complex theological concept just so you can impress your friends and feel really smart, Please hang up and check your attitude. If you wish to learn patience, please stay on the line. If you wish to grow in your relationship with God or to simply enjoy His presence, please disregard this menu completely. Hang up and wait. Lord, I will wait for what your love brings. When I wait, you give me wings. Those who wait.
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings. It was like wings of eagles. That's what the regrouping time, that's what the waiting time, that's what the time between that closed door and that open door is all about. It's God preparing you for the open door. Amen? And we all have those times, lots of those times. Those are leaps too. So what's going on during that time? Nothing far from it. It says about Abraham that during this time he was growing strong in his faith. During this time he was giving glory to God. He was fully persuaded during that time that God was able to do what he had promised. And finally, it says, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Sweet deal. God does all the work and he calls me righteous just for trusting him? I'm down with that. Yeah. Not that simple, is it? It's a time of trial. It's a time of trusting. Abraham was told by God, that famous promise that he would have a son when he was 75 years old. His wife laughed, which is why they named the child Isaac, because Isaac means he laughs or she laughs. And 25 years later, that was fulfilled. That takes, that's kind of a, that's sort of a time of closed door, open door. Wow, it's a long time, right? We got off easy. We just 23 years later. Time in God's time. All in God's time, right? There's a little song in the end. I want to close with this. Just a little chorus. I sometimes sing myself as a reminder of Abraham's faith along with singing that. And these words on screen, it goes like this. I'll sing it for you once and then I'll have you join me. Lord, I will wait for what your love brings because when I wait, you give me wings. Now sing it with me as an echo, will you? Lord, I will wait for what your love brings. Because when I wait, you give me wings. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the leaps of faith that make up the life of faith, for the series of leaps that make up a life and make it therefore not just a leap or a series of leaps of faith, but a leaps of life, a leap of life happening every day in a sense, not just four, but 4,400. Teach us to always be faithful like Abraham. Take us on the journey like Peter and bring us to the place where your vision is ultimately fulfilled, your vision in the way that you see and the way that you will. Close the doors and open the doors and may we glorify you. May we grow in faith. May we glorify you. May we trust you always to know that you are able to do what you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen.